Hi, I'm Megan Skidmore, and this is the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt. I'm a woman, daughter, sister, spouse, mother, life coach, and person of faith on a mission to normalize asking questions and allowing doubts, not only in a faith journey, but in all aspects of life. Join me in bringing this traditionally taboo topic out of the shadows of shame and into the light. I'm a firm believer that we normalize through more talking and engaging in discussion. More talking peels back, exposes, and erases the layers of shame associated with questions and doubts. When we're more authentic about our journey, we are more powerful because shame has no power in the face of authenticity. The Beyond the Shadow of Doubt podcast is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, which is part of the Dialogue Journal found at dialoguejournal.com forward slash podcast network. Founder Eugene England was a Mormon writer, teacher, and scholar who wrote, My faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. My hope is that this podcast is an extension of that vision. Today begins the first day of June, which in the U.S. is Pride Month, a month dedicated to the celebration of the lives of those who identify as LGBTQIA2S+, or lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, asexual, queer, or two-spirit, or questioning. This is often a misunderstood community. My hope is to educate, enlighten, and bring awareness to an experience that you may be less familiar with. Why, you may ask? Because I believe at the very heart and soul of each and every human being is a desire to be seen, heard, and loved. I invite you to subscribe to my podcast and follow me on socials so you don't miss any of my bonus episodes and content. I want to welcome you to the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt podcast. My guest is Reverend Dr. Neil Thomas, who is the head pastor at, I love the verbiage on the website, something to the effect, the most radically inclusive congregation, and some say in the world. And I I think I would believe that. I, I wish... If this were in person, I'd give you a big hug. I'm just so honored oh. to be chatting with you today. Glad to be doing it. Seriously. Yeah. I may even get a little emotional. I um, remember when you and I first met over a Zoom meeting through the Dallas Hope Charities, mm -hmm. Collective Hope Coalition, I think is what it was at the time. And oh. I know those names have evolved since then. And you were speaking on... LGBTQ plus issues. I was just so impressed then and have continued to be impressed with the spirit that you have about you and the love that is so obvious that you have for others and yourself. It's beautiful and it's contagious. And I'm super honored to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you. For, thank you for the invitation, Megan. Seriously, I, I, I honestly believe that, you know, that, that the more authentic you become in who you are, the more authentic you move in the world and the more authentic that you invite other people to become. So and it's taken, it's been a long journey, but uh, and still more to do. Yes. All. I completely agree with that philosophy and with that approach to life. I truly believe authenticity breeds authenticity in others. I wanted to, I wanted to read a little bit from the website of cathedralofhope.com. 
It says, Cathedral of Hope is an open and affirming congregation of the United Church of Christ. We practice extravagant welcome, and many lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender folk have found their spiritual home here. And this is where it says, it is said that Cathedral of Hope is the largest open and affirming congregation in the world. It continues, as Christians, we profess that we are created in the image of God. In this image, we make a lifelong journey toward deeper faith, faithfulness, and wholeness. As a church, we seek to continually integrate God's ongoing revelation with new knowledge and understandings of our lives and times. In our religious life and education, we seek to equip the faithful for this journey in all its possibilities. I read that and I just got chills. Extravagant was the word I was looking for. So with that, I want to give you as much time as I can to speak. And I wanted to start out can you share your origin story? And by that, I mean, obviously you have an accent, which I love. <laughs> That's another thing that I love about you. <laughs> Where you're from and grew up, a little bit about your family, you know, including siblings, parents, extended family, where you went to school in the UK. Sorry, I'm going to let you tell everybody where you're from <laughs> and your and growing up, your faith experience growing up and all of that. Well, Megan, thank you very much for inviting me onto your show. It's, it really is an honor to be able to spend some time uh, with you and to, um, you know, to kind of share a little bit about what I believe uh, part of my life's work of reclaiming Christianity, reclaiming it as a sense of, of, of a faith of, of liberation and of hope, um, a faith that uh, is personal as well as corporate. Uh, and a faith that uh, really is more about a path than about doctrine. And that's kind of where I've evolved to uh, in my understanding of the, the the witness and ministry of the one we call Jesus. But uh, to, to your point, where am I from? I'm, I'm from Great Britain, United Kingdom. I was uh, raised um, as one of seven, seven kids. I have six brothers and uh, sorry, five brothers and one sister. Um, I'm an oh. identity. Yeah, poor girl, right? Poor girl. No kidding. Where do you fall in this in the lineup? Right at the end. <laughs> and I have an identical twin brother. No. Yeah. So we're identical identical twins. So when we ask us where where we land, it depends on which continent I'm in. So I'm actually ten minutes older than my brother. Um, but when I moved to the states, uh, he, his birthday actually arrives five hours and 50 minutes before. Gosh, you are uh, hilarious. And so, uh, and so I'm, I've been intentional every year of uh, calling him when I'm still a little younger than him and wishing him a happy birthday to my older, my older twin brother. So um, that's where Fabulous. we land. Uh, we were um, nominally, nominally Church of England, which everybody in the United Kingdom really is, unless you're Roman Catholic, but you were born into the Church of England and, you know, we predominantly go there uh, three times um, for hatch, match and dispatch. Um, so for christenings, for marriage and for funerals. And, you know, religion in the UK, especially in, in, when, when I was growing up, was, you know, was not very relevant. Um, to give you some context, uh, in some of the church census, uh, religious censuses over the years in the United States, predominantly about 60 to 75 percent of the population attend a religious ceremony over a, over a holy day. In the UK, that was somewhere between five and six percent. Oh wow! So a, a huge difference in the way yeah. population relate to relate to their religion. My parents were converted to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, the Mormon tradition, uh, when mm -hmm. I was uh, very very young. Um, 
I'm not sure if it was actually before I was born or shortly after. And I've always asked my mom what you know what what made you convert. And one of the responses I used to get from her was that anything was more exciting than the Church of England. So, <laughs> um, so we, we we were raised Mormon. My mom and dad divorced when I was two years old, um, okay. and uh, was was raised predominantly by my by my mother and my grandparents. Um, and my grandparents were very influential uh, in in my life and and in the life of of the seven of us. And you know there was there was uh, less than ten years between all seven of us. So, oh. you know, mum had a, a hard job. Did, did the best that I believe that she could do with the tools that she had. And, and dad was around, but I, because he was out of the picture so young, my relationship with my biological father was, was, was a little different than some of my older siblings who had a much more, a different memory of, of him than sure. I did. So we were in the Mormon church. Um, my, we were very faithful in the Mormon church. Uh, I loved the, the the fellowship at the Mormon church. Um, I remember very often when I would finish school and mum was still at work that uh, I would go home uh, to another Mormon family uh, who would take care of us until mum was ready to uh, to pick us up. Um, so my, my memories of the Mormon church are, are, are pretty good. Um, up until uh, my mom met someone that she wanted to marry, he was not a Mormon, went to the, ch- to the church and asked if they could get married in the church, and they said no, um, that uh, he would either have to convert to Mormonism or that there was no way that they were going to get married and sealed in the temple, which is uh, the Mormon tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I was around about eight or nine uh, at that mm-hmm. time. And I remember that was also the time that we kind of disassociated with the Mormon tradition. Okay. Um, and, and I tell people that story a lot um, because that actually was part of my formulation of understanding that there was a big difference between what I call churchianity um, and Christianity. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing in our sacred text that says that my mom couldn't have got married, um, you know, in, with religious blessing. Um, that was a human rule that we'd established. And that there are many human rules that we continue to establish within uh, churchianity that have absolutely nothing to do with Christianity. And we might try to use scripture to, you know, to justify our positions. But there is nothing in our sacred text that points to a lot of things that we hold as so-called truth today. Um, and then as so a, I have, as a, I have a quick on. question. That's yeah. really young. That is very young to be aware of that type of concept and have those thoughts at, you said, eight years of age? Eight or nine years of age, yeah. Because uh, I know when my mom remarried, so I know it was all around yeah. the same time. Okay. And I, yeah. the, you know, I grieved um, not being a part of the church uh, because I think there was something inherent, even at that age, um, that was deeply spiritual that came to an understanding of God in my life. And and um, uh, and I'm not sure I was able to formulate it in the way that I do now, certainly, but I certainly knew that there was something that that God was was a part of my life that would evolve as I continued to, to get older. Now, when I was um, around 13 or 14, I remember very clearly beginning to uh, understand that my sexual orientation was different than my brother's uh, and certainly from my sister. Um, that I had same-sex attraction, okay. that I was, uh, that I would later to identify as a, as, a, as a gay man, and I would take myself off to all sorts of churches on Sunday mornings. My my mom was really overparenting by the time I got to that age. God bless her. And um, you know, so on Sunday mornings, she really didn't miss me if I went to the Baptist church or I went to an Anglican church or 
uh, any church that was local. And and you have to, in some ways, understand that the, the climate and the culture of religion in the United Kingdom is, is very different than the US. You know, there were there was conversations about being gay and Christian, but that was not really a topic in the same way that it was and continues to be here in the United States. Really? Uh, yeah, especially around evangelical fundamentalist religion. England did, did not have that in the same way that the US did. And of course, religion was at that level pretty irrelevant. And so it didn't really have the impact on people's lives. I'm just, um, I'm just curious, do you think it, the less relevancy was because of just it was expected or understood that everybody was born into the Church of England or? Absolutely. That... You know, the monarch, the monarch is the head of the Church of England. And yeah. uh, that's where you that's where you are. And that's what it is. And, you know, the church does its thing. And of course, remember, we're not church and state separate. Right. Um, we're, we're church and state linked. Uh, and so, you know, our laws were based around around religion. They were based around the, the values of our religion. Um, right. and, and whilst homosexuality uh, had been decriminalized by then, you know, it, it was not a religious thing. Um, it was really around, you know, around human human development, human would you, life. Would you say it was more of a political issue then? Um, it was decriminalized? I, yeah, I mean, when I look back in, in English history and we see the, 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 the different ways in which we evolved in, in the understandings of human sexuality. You know, human sexuality was a part of our uh, curriculum at schools. Uh, unlike uh, in the United States. Wow. Uh, you know, so it was a different climate. Now it's it's changed. Um, and much of it has changed because of the importing of American Christianity into the United Kingdom, as well as, of course, American Christianity into uh, Africa, uh, uh, Uganda right now, you know, has, has laws and books around um, stoning homosexuals and are pretty proactive about that. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the ways in which American evangelical fundamentalist Christianity has been imported or exported into into other countries mm-hmm. and England has certainly been affected by that now uh, it's 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 different a different world than it was when I was growing up but again you know I'd already had this one experience of my mom being excluded because she just wanted to marry the man she loved and so when I started to hear that being being gay was wrong I was able to use that experience as an understanding that well let me let me let me let me look at scripture let me see what it says about homosexuality um okay. so anyway kind of very long story short by the time I was 15 I was out of the closet I was uh, uh, I'd come out at school uh, I started attending a local congregation of the Metropolitan Community Church in my hometown in Bournemouth England uh, there was a congregation that was um predominantly LGBT. And uh, I knew right there and then that I was called to the Christian ministry. Um, I went to seminary when I was 18, uh, graduated when I was 22, ordained when I was 23. Um, and the last 31 years um, have, have been in Christian ministry in the UK and uh, for my first congregation and uh, in the US for the last 20 odd years in two two congregations, one in Los Angeles and of course now uh, Cathedral of Hope, a uh, United Church of Christ. Um, so if I could jump in for a minute. Yeah, please do. You were 15 when mm-hmm. you came out openly in yeah. a school setting, in your family setting, your faith community. You started attending a new faith at that point. And just a new, not a new, con- not, a new, not a new congregation. Not- That's what I mean. Yeah. 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 Uh, wow. What was that like coming out? I mean, some in, in America, I think kids are coming out at younger and younger ages. I know in the faith tradition of, of the LDS church, there are uh, individuals who will come out in their 20s, sometimes 30s, like even 
I don't know how much you keep abreast of that, but David Archuleta, who is a um, well-known faith of origin is LDS. He came out, I think he was just 30, 31, something like that a couple of years ago. So you were 15. That is young. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was young. I mean, it is young, was young. Um, but, but again, the climate was very different. Uh, now we, we'd started to have some of the, and remember this was also at the beginning of the AIDS pandemic. And so the, uh, that's when we really started to hear the rhetoric from the, okay. the US um, that homosexuality was God's wrath on the gay community for, okay. for sins that, you know, the, uh, the yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty awful. Um, and that was the, the, the time when we, I started to hear that being gay and Christian was wrong and that, uh, you know, I was going to have in a handbasket, um, a pretty handbasket, nonetheless, but a handbasket. Um, so and can it, I, yeah. Can I ask, how was that for you on a very personal level to navigate that, to be told by, I'm, I, I don't know where the messages necessarily were specifically coming from, but obviously they were coming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how was that like for you to navigate? Uh, to, from what you've told me, you've had a connection with the divine mm-hmm. from a young age. You've been able to recognize that. So I would love to know a little bit more about how did you navigate that that hit to your core identity? Well, I knew they were wrong. Um, you know, there was never a doubt in me that they were wrong. And that, you know, so often humans will speak for other humans for which they have no experience. You know, and so... So we see men talking about women's bodies. Uh, we have we have no experience of that, but we we like to talk about it, you know. And straight straight men talk about gay men, um, and they really have no identity. And, and I, I've always said, you know, walk in walk in someone else's shoes for uh, for a day or two uh, sure. before, before you can really start making any any comments or judgments. And for me, I just knew they were wrong. I, I, yeah. I, you've got a connection with the divine and you believe that the divine is all powerful and almighty and the divine still seems to affirm you and bless you and bless your steps and what you're doing. That's, I can't believe that that's the work of the devil. That has to be the work of, of God. Mm-hmm. And so I just remained faithful to what I believed. And, you know, that's- those six clobber passages that they, the, the, that they keep lifting up yeah. have absolutely nothing to do with the ways in which you know, not only do we evolve as humanity, but our understanding of who we are evolves. And so to 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 quote Paul from, you know, the book of Romans, or, or to quote uh, Levitical law from the book of Levit- Leviticus, or to somehow say that Sodom and Gomorrah is is, is a judgment right. on, on gay men, um, right. when it's about rape and inhospitality, right. that, that Ezekiel says is, and Jesus actually says in the Gospels that the sin was... Right, so much of that is taken out of context. All taken sure. out of context. Yeah, um, and there's lots of very reliable sources out there that absolutely. point point to yeah. that. And there are over 600 verses that uh, actually point to the behavior, sexual behavior of straight people, but we don't lift those up all the time, you know. And so it's very hypocritical. It's really misogyny, patriarchy, uh, white supremacy, um, the layer that we continue to put on scripture today. And we have to call it out. That is our job. That is that is my job as someone who you know serves in the church as an openly gay man to call the church out on its hypocrisy and the way that it has used weaponized scripture to damage people rather than the ministry of Jesus. And I would say the ministry of all prophets and healers is to lift people up and to affirm people and allow the Holy Spirit to do what she does best. And that is to work individually with us as, as people on doing the things that we need to do in our lives. Just because I'm a gay man 
doesn't mean that I don't have some things in my life that I need to work on. My sexual orientation isn't one of them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but, but, I love but, that you you said she. <laughs> well, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is, is in its original language is is ruach, uh, it, it, and it's a feminine word. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the job um, of the Holy Spirit, and uh, you know, again, I, we maximize everything. I love, I love, love learning other languages. I love learning the origins of words, and there's just so much that we miss out on. I think when we don't take advantage of the opportunity to be a student of life. I don't yes. know what else to call it, but to educate ourselves and not just take things necessarily at face value. That is one of the we're the higher species, right? Yep. That is one of our God-given gifts to to seek, to learn, to mm-hmm. improve and progress. And I think we do ourselves a disservice if we just allow someone to speak on behalf of us and to not take the reins of our own journey, we could say. I love your distinction, churchianity and Christianity. You you said you, you sound it sounded like you came up with that distinction at a younger age. And it's possible, I, I might be wrong, that there were some questions and doubts that came up that led to that. Wait a minute, there's this mm-hmm. that I'm seeing, that I'm being taught, and yet this is what's resonating with me. This is what's touching my heart and ringing true for me and what feels like we could say the path of Jesus. Is is there any, you know, basis to what I'm I'm saying? How how did you come up with that or what was that journey of determining, you know, what was your truth, I guess? Well, I mean, I think there is there is there is some there is a lot of truth to to the ways in which we have weaponized our scriptures. You know, if we look at the reasons why people are leaving church, today um, in higher numbers than they're actually being drawn to it um, the, the distinction is very clear um, the church is, has become a place of hate a discrimination of bias uh, it's become really white christian nationalism uh, especially here in the united states and you know i've used this phrase before if your god hates the people you hate uh, you've created god in your image uh, rather than the other way around and everything that i see about jesus Wow. And was always standing with the oppressed, always on the margins, mm-hmm. uh, hardly ever went to temple, um, or, although we understand he was a rabbi, um, that, you know, the, the, the first place he went after his resurrection uh, wasn't to the temple to give thanks, was to ordinary human beings who had walked alongside him. Um, he healed the lepers. He cl- uh, healed. Uh, first one being a female. <laughs> first witnesses being two or women. someone who identified as female sorry yep. Yep. <laughs> um you know the 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 jesus was always about the way the truth and the life um and that whenever we institutionalize something whether that be um you know the way in which constantine in- institutionalized the christian church in rome um in order to claim power or the ways in which the priest in the temple institutionalized religion um in order to um you know oppress peoples even within their own communities which we see working itself out in the whole of history whenever we do those things we have to say is this really about the faith or is this really about the institution that we're trying to support and i think that's just such a beautiful concept that each of us can take that opportunity to truly take that to the divine take that to god and 
know and receive answers for ourselves to have that mind body spirit alignment that lets you know you're you're on the right path for you and that's really where your jurisdiction begins and ends yeah my job as a pastor is not to tell people what to believe yeah. or to live my job as a pastor is to pastor people into a place of love yes uh, where be a shepherd. Be a shepherd. When you when you love yeah. yourself, you make far better decisions about the way you're going to live, the way you're going to treat people. But if you're constantly being told to, who to hate, that will also internalize itself in yourself. And that is so true. Into, that um, is so true. So uh, I wanted to. I um, nosed around a little bit on the website. You have a message that you impart. It looks like weekly. Mm -hmm. And I read one of them. It was your Easter message. And if you're okay, I wanted to read it and share that. And happy belated birthday, by the way. I noticed it said it was your birthday in there. <laughs> I'm glad you got to be younger for about six hours. <laughs> six hours, yeah. Six hours, yeah. You wrote, Eastertide Sermon Series, Building Blocks, continues. This sermon series is designed to equip, empower, and encourage us to build our faith. And last Sunday, we examined the story of doubting Thomas and our ability, like Thomas, to become a believer. Often it is our personal experience of the presence of God, an encounter with the divine that helps us to believe that God is more than just a theology or someone else's experience. When it becomes personal, it creates an experience memory. I love that phrase, by the way. That enables us to believe that God is journeying with us through good and not so good. So very beautiful. I would love to hear from you firsthand, you know, hear you share when you have, as you wrote, personal experience of the presence of God, an encounter with the divine that helps us to believe God is more than just a theology. I would love to hear when you or how that has happened to you in your life. Megan, I think there are so many times I could point to of a mm -hmm. personal encounter I'm with sure. God. Um, but I want to tell you, for me as a as a pastor, the, the 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 most profound moments that I experience the divine is when I'm sat with one other person, listening to their story, listening to where they've come from, um, what their life's journey has been, um, and the ways in which we together are able to articulate the way that the divine has been present in some of the some of the moments of that life, and mostly because we identify therefore with each other in those moments. Uh, and just the ways in which, quite frankly, you know, you can you can call it human, you know, tenacity or whatever you want to do, or resilience, whatever it is. But quite frankly, to witness the ways in which, in circumstances that would defeat any one of us, that that they have found this inner strength, this inner God, this higher power mm -hmm. that has enabled them to be these overcomers. And, and I witnessed that so much in the sacred text of the ways in which Jesus would sit with the woman at the well and tell her a life story after listening and the ways in which Jesus then, instead of judging her or condemning her, just gently led her back to life. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, this woman was obviously an outcast from her society. She was at the well in the heat of the day, which is not the time that you would go to, um, go to, go to get water. You know, Jesus was a man talking to a woman, uh, which could have been considered uh, completely wrong in his day. Mm -hmm. But breaking those barriers and those borders and breaking it down to a place where those one-on-one -on -one encounters help us to see, feel, and, and experience the divine in ways that go beyond my knowledge, go beyond my 
my human experience, they become supernatural. I so agree with that. Jesus was a radical for his day and time. And often I think we don't realize or think about that because when we're reading it, we're reading it from, you know, past tense. And I think we put our assumptions, we see it through our lens. Oh, well, that's just what people did. We don't put the the emphasis or realize the, the depth and, and the courage, the, the love that it really was at work here within Christ as he really was breaking boundaries or the social norms, I guess, of the day. And that is what really made him such a radical for his time. And I love that you shared that you feel the divine most in that one-on-one space. And that's something that I have learned is how personal that relationship with the divine is. So I see this sitting down, you as pastor with one of your sheep. (laughs) That is also very symbolic of that one-on-one relationship that is that God is just waiting to have with every one of us. Every yeah. one of us. Yeah, the phrase um, I, I love to use uh, pretty often is it's the, it's the Christ in you that greets the Christ in me. There is some magic in those moments when you realize that this is beyond just a human right. experience. Yeah. That, that we really are, you know, spiritual beings having this human experience. And, and how do we how do we relate to that? How do we allow that to be? all that it can be because we're only here for a short period of time and uh you know my my hope is that i'll leave the world better than i found it um, oh. I, that is for all of us in some ways definitely i was just going to ask what is your vision your hopes for the future yeah my my hope for the future quite frankly around the institution of the church is that we enter into a period of repentance you know we're always calling our people to repentance but I, I'm I'm in that period now where I I'm, I want to hope for um, that we can call the church to repentance for the damage it's done for the misrepresentation it's done of this one we worship every single Sunday, the ways that we've silenced people, mm-hmm. um, oppressed peoples, continue to use scriptures in in very very bad ways to dominate women and women's bodies. Uh, when you to- say church, you mean what you're going back to what you were saying. The difference between churchianity and christianity yeah, institution in general institution. And, yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. and in general yeah i mean not specific yeah. any particular one um because yeah. we're, we're all complicit in some ways um to the ways that we oppress but the ways that we continue to uh, demonize transgender people uh the way we we continue to believe from a white christian perspective uh that people of color are not as human as others and uh the ways in which we have use the 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 gifts that we've been given to continue to perpetuate a a class system that should never exist in in the ways in which we as as people in the world but not of the world uh, have been called to be countercultural and different yes powerful so i just have one more question i wanted to ask that i always like to wrap up and that is what does it mean to you to live beyond the shadow of doubt so i think that doubt has its place in, in the world and part of the building blocks that we've been speaking about uh, is of course you know thomas uh, who was you know the doubting thomas bless him he gets the the, the bad rap in scripture but I actually believe that that Jesus, that God's big enough for our doubts. I believe that God's big enough for our uncertainties. I believe that God is big enough for all of those things. 
when I think about living beyond the shadow of the doubt, it, it really is about living in that place of faith uh, because I'm, I can't be certain about anything. There is no certainty. I've got no certainty about tomorrow. Uh, I've got no certainty about heaven. Um, no, no, no one's really been there and come back um, apart from maybe Jesus. You know, so so I think we 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 all live in that state of of the shadow the shadows of doubt. But I can't I can't thrive there. Um, I can only thrive with the certainties um, that I know because of my experience. And living more fully into that doubt, um, actually, I think makes life far more exciting and far more challenging. Because if I'm not really certain about anything except for you know maybe a few things like, you know, I'm going to live, I'm going to die, I'm going to pay taxes. I mean, those are the three things that I can be absolutely sure about uh, in this world. Um, but, if I, but if I live <laughs> I live beyond those things, then life becomes exciting. It becomes encounters. Uh, it becomes experience. That's where the living is. Yeah, it's that the, I live without the fear. Um, yeah. And, and those, those, I think, are the ways in which we can live beyond the shadows of the doubt. Yeah, I love that so so much. That's really that's beautiful. And that's where I want to be. I'm, am I yeah. successful? Maybe sometimes. <laughs> um, we're, we're all human. We're all. And we're all working together on it's this a journey. It's some days you win, some days you learn. I I believe it's all good. It's all part of it, and it can all be sacred too. Yep. So, so I, may, I may just say we've just um, just published my first book congratulations thank you i, I co-wrote it with uh, my my really good friend rabbi denise Eger. she's a uh, almost almost retired now she'll be retiring next month but we've had 21 years of ministry together mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we just wrote our first book uh, seven principles for living bravely that basically takes um, some of the principles of our faith both judaism and christianity uh, and takes a look at them about how these um, principles truth, uh, life, mm-hmm. um, these principles can actually encourage us to live more bravely in the world. I, I sincerely hope that this is a, a, an offering that we offer to folks um, as they step into their fullness. Um, Where can folks go to find? Is it uh, the Cathedral on, of Hope website? It is, it is on the Cathedral of Hope website. It's, we've also got our own website called Seven Principles for Living Bravely. That's the number seven, uh, Seven Principles for Living Bravely. It's on okay. Amazon uh, available. Uh, it was a it was a, a labor of love um, that we wrote, looking at the ways in which, as clergy, we had to confront some of those principles during the AIDS pandemic, uh, certainly those principles during the COVID nineteen pandemic, um, and finding some of those truths of those spiritual values that go beyond the circumstances of life, uh, but actually tap into the ways in which we can live bravely in the world today. I certainly hope that they are they are some of those principles. I'm sure there's more, but we found those seven that were beneficial both of us. Um, I, I look forward to getting my own copy. So where is the best place for folks to connect with you, follow you, find you? Uh, well, obviously Facebook. Uh, nobody lives in this world now without, without the, I call it <laughs> faces, uh, but uh, Facebook, you can also always go to uh, the, the cathedralhope.com website. Uh, we broadcast our worship services every, every week and uh, they're right. available there to stream 24 seven. Of course, in person, and then you know, just email me, revneil at uh, cathedralofhope.com. Neil is spelled N-E-I-L, uh, so revneil uh, at cathedralofhope.com. And I, I love to be able to respond to people. You know, I, I, I try to do that as, as proficiently as possible, um, knowing that, of course, you know, I have a pretty, pretty large congregation to take care of. But uh, 
I, I do believe that when people make the connection, uh, that we should honor that by at least responding and helping people to find their space in the world as gratefully and thankfully, thank God I found mine uh, in the world. Well, as well. It's a beautiful space that you found and it is custom made for you, I can tell. So thank you so much for sharing that with me and our listeners today. Thank you, Megan. It's been a joy to speak to you today. Same. So I have just a list of really quick for funsies questions one or two word answers <laughs> <laughs> this lets us get to know you a little more personally what is your favorite book besides the one you just wrote <laughs> uh, the road the uh, further down the road less traveled okay. uh, is is actually a book that i ref i go back to there's the first one which is the road less traveled and then the sequel of further down the road okay. which is a book i really really love Okay, awesome. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Um, I would say I'm an extrovert. I would too. <laughs> Who is your, your favorite artist? Oh, that's an interesting question. But without having to really think about that one, I would probably say someone like Monet. Hmm? Who, who takes a lot of different thoughts and principles and puts it out there in abstract uh, for yes. us to decide what it means. Have you been to the L'Orangerie in Paris? Yeah. Yes, that's a beautiful one. Are you a night owl or a morning lark? Uh, I, I, I have an eight-year-old daughter, um, so I have to be a, a morning person <laughs> in order to get her up and get her to school. I actually do enjoy being up late at night. Okay. Are you a still or carbonated water drinker or do you do soda? Uh, carbonated water. Carbonated water. Yeah. Yeah. Love I don't it. like that water at all. Um, it's very British. <laughs> do you have a celebrity crush? Um, uh, the only celebrity crush I have is on uh, Diana. Oh, I yeah. love that. And how appropriate considering the coronation just happened this past weekend. Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking a lot about her too. I was a student in London when it happened. I was there very sobering yeah. time. Yeah. And the furthest place you have traveled? Um, to Australia to uh, when I was in the UK. Yes. So it's actually first. Right? So, yeah, it sure yeah. is. Um, but yeah, uh, Australia is the furthest I've traveled. I have yet to go there. It's on the bucket list. So fun. Yep. Such a beautiful person you are. Your daughter's very lucky. Your congregation is also very lucky. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Megan. Lots of love. Same to you. Come join me in Hopeful Spaces, a Dallas Hope Charities component of Hopeful Discussions, which is sponsored by Mercedes-Benz Financial Services USA. Hopeful Spaces is a monthly parent, caregiver, and ally support group facilitated by Megan Skidmore Coaching. To join is free. Simply send an email to chc at dallashopecharities.org. Visit meganskidmorecoaching.com where you can find this podcast as well as additional free resources. Check the podcast show notes on any platform for links to sources cited. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram for more and to send me a DM. To help the podcast grow, please follow, rate, and review, as well as share it with a friend. Thank you.